Joe and Amber, the podcast. Yes, it is, but with a twist. Amber Wilson out, Tyler Folgem in. My name is Joe Fortenball. Welcome to Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We have big news out of the National Football League. Today, July 17th, if memory serves correct, was the final day at 4 p.m. Eastern today in which players who were slapped with the franchise tag had the last opportunity to sign long-term deals with their respective teams. Three key names all at the running back position. Saquon Barkley in New York, Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas, Tony Pollard in Dallas, all failed to reach long-term deals with their teams, which means now we turn our attention to the future. Will these players show up for training camp? Will they show up for week one or will problems abound? Tyler Folgem. Always good to be working with you. How you doing? I'm doing well, brother. And I would like to dive into Pollard, Jacobs, Saquon Barkley. But yeah. I got to ask you a question. You yeah. hobbled into the studio. I know people couldn't see that. Uh, but I was wondering what the hobble was all about. Did you do anything this week of note? I uh, I went and climbed Mount Rainier last Friday in, in uh, Washington. 14,410 feet. I made it. <laughs> I'm in extraordinary pain. <laughs> feet, knees muscles, shoulders, couple skin issues, mental pride, the list goes on. Mm. Chafing in certain mm, areas we yeah. will not want to discuss. Get the gold bond ready at home. But got it done. Got it done. Congratulations. Really? That's what I wonder. Should I be celebrating? If I'm this banged up from doing something, question persists, should I have done it to begin with? The couch would have been a lot easier. Fair question. Um, yeah. I, I spent an equally taxing week slash weekend um, with a floaty betwixt my legs in a lake in Shasta, California, oh. uh, drinking seltzer. So yeah. my body is hurting a little bit as well. Um, hopefully no skin issues from That's more the beating organs. sun. That's more uh, organ yeah, pain organ than it is. It's internal. muscle pain. Yeah. It's internal for me. But no, <laughs> for real, congratulations. You did Thank about you. the only thing in the world right now harder than running backs getting a second contract. A professional transition. A professional transition there. I mean, what do we make of this? Let's go one by one. Let's start with Saquon Barkley. 1,312 rushing yards last season. That was fourth in the NFL. He played a huge role for a Giants team that surprised a lot of people last season as they ended up going 9-7-1, and made the playoffs, beat the Vikings, lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the first year under new head coach Brian Dable. Let's talk surprise first. Are you surprised that the Giants and Barkley didn't reach a deal? No, not really. Um, I'm not surprised any of these running backs failed to reach a deal. Uh, despite the success Barkley's had throughout his career, the rebound he had last year, Josh Jacobs was the best running back in the NFL by a lot of measures uh, last season. Of course, Tony Pollard splitting time with Ezekiel Elliott. He was the far more effective, dynamic running back for what was a very good offense. So, 5.2 yards per carry, very efficient. That's legit. So it's not like we're talking about mid-tier Lower tier. We're talking about some of the better running backs in the entire NFL, and I'm still not shocked based on the way that the league is showing us they want to value positions in the NFL. Quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, edge rusher, or pass rusher. If it is involved in the pass game, then you have value. You are an elite asset. If you're involved in the running game, offensive linemen, middle linebackers, running backs, they don't show that those positions are valued a lot. So this is a continuation of a trend we've seen in the NFL over the last handful of years, Joe. So I'm not surprised to see that none of them were able to get what they wanted. You have to be tied to the quarterback if you're going to get paid. You could be a quarterback. 
you can protect a quarterback, mm-hmm. you can catch passes from a quarterback, mm-hmm. or you can try to sack the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Those are all individuals who get paid. Everyone outside of that is kind of in tier two, with the exception of cornerbacks who try to stop the passes right. from a quarterback. Derrick Henry, Tennessee Titans running back, had this to say on Twitter about what happened today with the running back position. Quote, at this point, just take the running back position out of the game then. The ones that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seems like it don't even matter. I'm with every RB that's fighting to get what they deserve. Jordan Renan, ESPN NFL Giants reporter, was on the Michael K show earlier today. He had this to say about when we can possibly expect to see Saquon Barkley back with the Giants. See you around September. I talked to people close to him, and that's pretty much what it was portrayed to me as. The season starts September 10th, right? So like a week or two before the season, I bet is the next time we're going to see Saquon Barkley. And he actually said this at his camp a few weeks ago. He was asked about sitting out the season, and, well, I don't think he's going to do it. He said that would be part of the conversation if he does not sign a long-term deal. So now we're at the point where he didn't sign a long-term deal. That is now part of the conversation at the time he said he hadn't thought about it much. Now they're going to think about it. We saw the report last week. There's a possibility that he misses games or game time. So that is the discussion now, and that they're going to huddle up, and they're going to decide, okay, what's our next move? How do we prove our point to the Giants of how much we're worth? Can the next move for any of these guys, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, be sitting out any portion or a lengthy portion of the season? Go back to 2018, Le'Veon Bell, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He sat out the whole season. It cost him extraordinary amounts of money in the long term. Extraordinary amounts of money, plus a year of his career, as he wasn't racking up any stats or playing at all. So do you see any of these guys missing any games? I don't. This is not um, 1993, the early 90s when Emmitt Smith, you know, did that sat out regular season games in the middle of their dynasty. And he wasn't looking for, you know, top of the market for the position. He was looking for top of the market in the NFL. And he was able to get that because it was a different ball game back then. I think the Cowboys struggled a couple of those games that he sat out. Le'Veon Bell may have been the, the fulcrum, the point that marked where the game shifted for the running backs. Um, When you realize when these Hopefully their agents are telling them you're playing a position that's just not valued. So you can't you can't be missing game checks for five hundred and ninety thousand dollars, Saquon Barkley. That's tangible for you because you don't have the shelf life that a quarterback or a left tackle or a defensive end or a cornerback has in this league. So I think these running backs are going to push it to the limit, take it to the, you know, end of training camp, the first week of the regular season. But I think they are going to realize, unfortunately, uh, and have to kind of swallow some pride there that missing game checks that that is a nominal and real effect that we feel that maybe other positions wouldn't in our position. It sucks, but the game's rigged. The game is rigged against these guys. That's how it works. The game is rigged against them. You are under contract as a rookie, and it's a guaranteed contract, but then there are mechanisms like the franchise tag that can keep you in line from getting a big-time payday, and before you know it, the years start to add up, and then your value starts to decrease. The Derrick Henrys are not the rule. The Derrick Henrys are the exception. I don't see anybody. I'm not surprised at all. No one got a long-term deal, and I don't see any of these guys holding out. Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. The Raiders ran him into the (laughs) ground last season. He carried the ball, what, like 350 times, somewhere in that neighborhood. They're going to do that again, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to let him go. The best way to operate in a salary cap league with this position and what it's worth is to draft a guy in the first round or another round, right? 
if it's the first round, you get five years. Mm-hmm. If it's any other round, you get four years. Mm-hmm. If he's good at the end of it, slap the franchise tag on him, which means you'll get six years if he's a first rounder, five years if he's a second rounder or below. And then after that, start the process all over again and draft another running back. And not shockingly, it's somewhat easy to find running backs at all levels of the draft. With quarterbacks, you got to draft them pretty much in the first round. The Dak Prescotts, the Tom Brady's, those are the exceptions. If you have a first-round draft pick, that's more likely to hit. At running back, undrafted free agents become starters who run for 1,000 yards. As long as they play for Kyle Shanahan. Exactly. Sixth round. I mean, if you're in that Shanahan offense, you could be Mike Anderson, Orlando Gary, or Clinton Portis. You are going for 1,500 yards. All right. The biggest running back deal this offseason – now that everything's said and done, it was Miles Sanders, former Philadelphia Eagles, signing with the Carolina Panthers, four years, $25 million. That was the richest deal for any running back this offseason. That's $6.25 million per year. To put that in perspective, Justin Tucker, a kicker for the Ravens, makes $6 million a year. Matt Gay, Jason Myers, Tyler Bass, Chris Boswell, all kickers making $5 million per year <laughs> or more. He's Tyler Folger. I'm Joe Fornball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Everybody loves a list. So coming up, which five players are feeling the most pressure in the NFL this upcoming season? We're going to have that for you next on the ESPN Radio app, as well as right here on ESPN Radio. Hey, it's Amber Wilson coming up on Tuesday. Which good NFL teams from last season will end up regressing this season? Should the Eagles be concerned? We'll answer that and more on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on ESPN2. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Great to have you with us on this Monday alongside Tyler Folgem. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save. At progressive.com. Everybody loves a list. Let's go to work. From the top five NFL quarterbacks. Burrow. Touchdown. What a start. Two actually has one of the prettiest balls I've ever caught in my life. To the top five NFL fan bases. We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's Rank Them. The top five players with the most pressure. Number five. 
All right, Mr. Folgem, here's how this is going to work. I am going to reveal my top five players facing the most pressure this season. You will comment on each one hour from now. We will flip roles. You'll give me your five, and I'll comment on yours. You ready? Ready. All right, number five, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. He's entering year four. He's played in one playoff game. He is 0-1 in the playoffs. I like Herbert. I think the situation with the Chargers is rough in terms of head coach Brandon Staley not being able to get him over the hump. I think Herbert played horribly in the second half of that collapse against Jacksonville, but because Staley has made so many poor decisions over the course of his tenure, he takes the heat, not Herbert. This is a year with all that talent on offense and everything they tend to put out there on the field. We've got to see him do something. He's looking for the big payday. Right. I'm not saying he needs to win a Super Bowl. I just think we need to see more from Justin Herbert because the jig is up. That performance <laughs> against Jacksonville was not good enough. Yeah, I'm not sure he's feeling much pressure. He knows he's going to get paid, uh, and whether it's the, the Chargers are likely going to do it, but someone is going to pay him top of the market, top, top of the market money because he's, you know, a six foot six alien. And even though he did have those struggles, a lot, I don't think he's feeling the pressure that he might if his coach wasn't bearing the brunt of a lot of that criticism. So for me, I just don't know if he's in my top five. He's someone who I think knows he's going to get his money and still regarded highly despite the failure in the playoff. Number four. Number four, Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. This team's stacked. They're absolutely stacked. You've talked about it on Daily Wager ad nauseum over the mm-hmm. last couple of months. The addition of Vic Fangio and Jalen Ramsey to the defense makes them quite formidable. Offensively, there are weapons everywhere. Mike McDaniel is a new-age play caller who had a lot of success last season. I was dead wrong on them last year. Right. I did not think they were going to have success. They were very, very good. They went to the playoffs with whoever at quarterback, Skylar Thompson, mm. and gave the Bills all they could handle at the Ralph in that playoff game before ultimately coming up short. Tua's got to stay healthy. Right. If he stays healthy, they can make a run. If he doesn't, they're not going to make a run, and he's probably out of a job. Yeah, this is one of two names that we both have on our lists. Um, I believe Tua's facing pressure, not necessarily for performance, but to prove he can stay healthy because that's now something that's carried over from his college career into his NFL career. And unfortunately for Tua, I, I know in Mike McDaniel's offense with Jalen Waddell, with Tyreek Hill, that he is going to be successful. He proved that last year. He was dominant when he was on the field, and the offense was one of the best in the NFL. But now it's like year after year, can you play 14, 15, 16 games? And I can imagine psychologically that's weighing on Tua. Man, just I don't want to get my leg rolled up on. He's probably thinking about every single hit that he takes and wondering is this going to be the one that knocks me out for an extended period of time. Number three. Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. You finally got paid. Mm -hmm. It's time to start winning in the playoffs. Jackson has played in exactly four playoff games. He has won one. A couple years ago, they beat Tennessee in the wild card round, a tightly contested, low-scoring game. The following week, he went to Ralph Wilson Stadium in Buffalo. They got beat. He didn't play well, so be it. Health is always a concern. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is you now have the bag. No more of this rookie deal. No more you're not being paid what you're worth. No more this is unfair. You got all the money this offseason, all of it. And now it's time to deliver in the playoffs. Lamar Jackson felt a lot of pressure, in my opinion. Yeah, I think this is the first time in the show where the lack of elevation atop Mount Rainier affected your brain <laughs> because this is madness. He's got to feel the least amount of pressure of so? almost any quarterback. in the he, Last year, Joe, was when he was feeling the pressure. He did not have his deal. He did not have an agent. Nothing was guaranteed. He was playing with the risk of injury to affect his ability to earn all this money. But now he's finally paid. They, the team has catered to him, bringing in wide receivers. I think he is feeling as little pressure as any quarterback around the National Football League 
because he's got his financial security. And we know when he is healthy, Baltimore wins 70-75% of their games. The narrative about the playoffs, sure, there's something there, but I don't think he's feeling pressure for that because there's been some fluke exits. I think right now Lamar's sleeping very, very easy amongst NFL QBs. Number two. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. We are waiting. This is no longer the fun little upstart small town city in western New York who's caught the world by surprise and is a lot of fun because we see him slam each other through tables while pounding beers in frigid temperatures. Time to start winning. You know, a couple years ago, you went to Arrowhead. You lost to the Chiefs in one of the best playoff games in NFL history. And we all sat there and talked about how you got jobbed by the overtime rules. We changed the rules. We went through all this. The following season, you come out. We're thinking to ourselves, all right, time to get over the hump. At the very least, let's get to the AFC Championship game. Let's make some noise. And then Cincinnati walks into your Mm -hmm. building and beats you up in a game where your defense can't generate any pressure and your offense couldn't score any points. It was pathetic. This season... Aaron Rodgers has joined your division. The Dolphins are on the rise. The New England Patriots are hovering, but they're probably not a threat. Your crown is in jeopardy. You may, you may have missed your window if you don't get it done this year because Josh Allen's salary cap number Mm. goes from like 19 million this year to close to $40 million next year. It's going to be tough to build a team around that. It actually goes from 18.6 to 47 million. So almost a $30 million increase. Jeez. You got Patrick Mahomes. You got Joe Burrow in this conference who've all had more legacy success so far in their career. And then you add now Aaron Rodgers to that division and... We'll see if Tua's healthy. I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down on, Josh. Number one. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. This is all about legacy. Rodgers does not want to lose the breakup. He does not want to lose the breakup. Tom Brady won the breakup in New England. He went to Tampa Bay. He won a Super Bowl. He has secured his legacy in history. And now we're looking at Belichick and we're thinking, I don't know. Was it all Brady? Because you haven't Mm -hmm. won a playoff game in the Mm -hmm. three years without him. You went to the playoffs once. You're lucky you were there. You were a seventh seed and you got rolled by the Buffalo Bills. Now you're in a situation where Aaron Rodgers has left Green Bay. It was a bad ending. You're with the Jets. Everyone said they're a quarterback away. They were so good last year except for the quarterback position. If Rodgers can't at least get them to the postseason, that's going to be a big ding on the legacy. All right, so I established that two is on my list, and it's one of either Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers that is on my list as well. One of those, I agree with you. One of those, I think you are crazy. Coming up a little later in the show, you'll find out which. That's a professional tease right there. That's Tyler Folgem. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. All these lists I've done, I've worked with a variety of people over the last couple of weeks on this stuff. It's almost always the same in, in some order, mm-hmm. just moved around. I like the fact that you oh, only agree with two. We're different because I think we're looking at it from a different lens. You're thinking yeah. more legacy. I'm thinking about a different type of factor that contributes to the pressure. Didn't even consider a non-quarterback, by the way. Coming up on Joe and Amber, we haven't seen a three-peat in college football in almost a century, but could this be the year? That's next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Greedy. You have Aaron Rodgers, and you draft a quarterback in the first round. What could go wrong? Oh, yeah, everything. <laughs> this is the worst idea I've ever heard of my He's life. Are you out of your mind? Weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Let's talk some college football. Alongside Tyler Folgem, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. SEC Media Days. 
kicked off this week from the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. For more on the situation, we go to Nashville right now. Ryan McGee, ESPN senior writer, kind enough to join us on Joe and Amber. Ryan, we appreciate the time. Let's start with this. Two-time defending champion Georgia. Stetson Bennett no longer at quarterback. They're looking to three-peat. It would be the first college football team to three-peat since, I believe, Minnesota in the 1930s. What do you think the biggest challenge is for the Bulldogs to that three-peat? Yeah, go Gophers, right? I mean, it's, like, <laughs> I, it's funny. I covered, I, covered a game, I covered a game one time at the old Metrodome, and they started pulling out the banners before the game, and I was like, damn, did they did, – did Minnesota really win all these national championships? <laughs> and yeah, but but no, I think the the biggest challenge for them, honestly, I mean, I mean, the expectations are the expectations. I mean, the good news is their schedule is set up to ramp up. You know, you got to replace Stetson Bennett, who to me should be on the Mount Rushmore of Georgia football players. You know, whether people want to admit that or not, but you know, they've got to replace a lot of starters on that football team. And we saw how many guys they sent to the draft. But they start with UT Martin, Ball State, you know, South Carolina at home is tough. Then UAB and Auburn. I mean, if there was ever a calendar built for let's get ready, except for South Carolina, who I think is a chance to be pretty good, they got a chance to ramp up. So the reality is, is yes, they are replacing Stetson Bennett, but Brock Bowers is the best tight end in the country. Uh, you know, the middle of the offensive line is still there. Lab McConkie still catching passes. I mean, a bunch of guys with rings are back. So the big thing is just managing the expectations because, I mean, you, you go back to some of the greatest teams in the history of college football. You're talking about Nebraska in the mid-'90s. You're talking about Miami in the early-'90s. And you're talking about, I mean, all those Oklahoma teams in the 80s and the 70s and Ohio State. None of those teams won three in a row. Bear Bryant never won three in a row. Nick Saban's never won three in a row. And so Kirby Smart has made a living over the last several years of making history, and uh, he's going to have to make a little history again if he's going to make this work. Ryan McGee with us, ESPN senior writer from the SEC Media Days. Georgia, obviously the favorite in this conference. If you look over in the other division, the West, Alabama's there, but say what you want about his evolving dialect. Brian Kelly can obviously coach, and he had a lot of success year one at LSU. I'm sure in Baton Rouge they think they can win a lot of games. Ryan, what do the media and other coaches, other teams around the SEC think about what Kelly has done there in Baton Rouge and what they're capable of year two? The, the coaches are surprised, you know, for forever. But, you know, Brian Kelly has a 2013 problem. And that's when, you know, he took Notre Dame to the BCS championship game way ahead of schedule and, and, and honestly way overcoached. Our, our, you know, our, our old buddy Mike Golick Jr. is on that team. And then they got <laughs> destroyed by Alabama in the national championship game. And, you know, for whatever reason, he just, that kind of became his reputation and it's never been fair. And so when last year, when, when we were at media days and we talked to Nick Saban and we talked to Sam Pittman and these guys have been around forever, they're like, the man can coach and everyone knew that he could. And so, yeah, it, honestly, it's ahead of schedule. I don't think there's any question about that. In fact, uh, Marty, Marty Smith and I were recording our Marty McGee, you know, specials for SEC network we talked to Brian Kelly and I asked him that specific question today, you know, which is when you think back on being way ahead of schedule in like year two, three at Notre Dame and overachieving for national championship, you know, for years he told me that was a blessing and a curse. And I said, so is last year, you know, a blessing or a curse? And he laughed and he goes, Oh no, I'll take the blessing. You know, I'll take the wins. <laughs> and the good news for him is, you know, Jaden Daniels is back. His quarterback had a chance to leave. 
and they have a room full of quarterbacks, and their entire offensive line is back. And so I think they got a chance. They're not going to sneak up on anyone this year, but the reality is they got dudes. And, yeah, anyone who tells you Brian Kelly can't coach um, hasn't actually paid any attention because what he did at Notre Dame in a modern era of football uh, with, honestly, you know, pun intended, golden handcuffs coaching at Notre Dame, what he did there was pretty remarkable. And they have a fascinating week one matchup in Orlando against the Florida State Seminoles, who are coming off a 10-win season last year. Ryan McGee, ESPN senior writer, joining Joe Fordenball and Tyler Folgem here on Joe and Amber ESPN Radio. One of the teams LSU upset last year, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Two losses for Nick Saban. He's watched Georgia win the last two national titles. Some are starting to talk about legacy, whether or not he's lost the edge, all that fun stuff that we discuss this time of year. But the bottom line is this. They lost two games last year, and that was with the number one defensive player in the draft, Will Anderson, as well as the number one overall pick in the draft in quarterback Bryce Young. So what are we sh- what should we expect from the Crimson Tide this year? Do they have the quarterback situation resolved? No, um, they will. Uh, the good news is they have too many quarterbacks. The bad news is none of them is Bryce Young. You know, Bryce Young is one of the best players I've ever covered, and I've been doing this for a minute. And, you know, the reality is, isn't it funny, man? Nick Saban has forgotten how to coach football, right? <laughs> they've, <laughs> they've lost the edge. The reality is they lost to LSU by one point in overtime. And if you go back and rewatch that Tennessee game, they lost that game by three points. They're four points away in two games that, quite frankly, they should have won from playing for another national championship, certainly going back to the playoff. And what we know now that we didn't know then was that Bryce Young wasn't even practicing. He was hurt. You know, he was just gearing it up for Saturdays, and they still almost considered for a national championship. So they're going to be fine. You know, the problem that Alabama has is that, you know, the gap isn't as big between them and everyone else as it always was. And we've seen Texas A&M beat them two years ago. LSU, you know, just knocked them off. You know, obviously Georgia – rules the roost right now and there's so much talent in the conference listen Ole Miss is for real you know Mississippi State is for real you know there there are no weekends off and so that's the challenge for Nick Saban but but yeah anyone again going back to hey Brian Kelly by the way can still can coach football Nick Saban still has a pretty good handle on the how the game works and so I, I think they'll be okay it's just the problem is the room they're in is a lot more crowded than it was you know, even just three or four years ago. Ryan, I am an SEC guy now, having gone to Mizzou. That's an old Big 12 school when I was there, but now in the SEC. And Eli Drinkwitz will never be mistaken for Nick Saban. Uh, we're not yeah. trying to say that, but he has not yet got the wheels in motion with that Missouri program like some had hoped. We're hearkening for the heydays of Gary Pinkle. Whether it's Eli Drinkwitz or another coach around that conference, who amongst those men that have spoken today about their program you got to say program when you're talking SEC. <laughs> uh, who amongst those men are on the hottest seat in this conference? Well, first of all, I love talking to Coach Drink. I he's do. great I on the mic. He's, I think he's a fascinating guy. And, in fact, I was just talking to him for a long time a few minutes ago. But, but the problem that Mizzou has now, the problem that Mizzou had in the days that you're talking about back in the day, and the problem that they're probably all, always going to have is – has become a lot worse because of the transfer portal and mm-hmm. because of NIL. And the reality is they lost their best player to the transfer portal last year. Mm-hmm. The good news is, you know, they gained a couple guys. Two years ago, they were the winners of the transfer portal. But the problem is, and I said this when, so when Missouri first joined the conference, 
and they went to the SEC championship game with Gary Pinkle, like the, for what, the first two years they were in the conference. What I said then was, you better make hay now because Tennessee back then was lost and Florida back then was lost and Georgia back then could not get into a, a consistent double-digit win. Kentucky still was Kentucky football. Now Kentucky wins 10 games a year. Mm-hmm. And now Tennessee is a college football playoff contender. And now, you know, Florida still isn't back, but they're certainly better than they were. So the problem for Missouri is is that they have to figure out a way, and Drink knows this, to avoid being the minor league affiliate for these other schools. There were two guys here. Every team, just so you guys know, maybe the listeners don't know, every team brings three players to do the media gala with the coach. Two of LSU's players were at Missouri. Mm. and they transferred to LSU. They were recruited by Drink, played there, and they transferred out. And so that's the problem that you have is. And, and, and in the NIL, I was just the College World Series. You know, LSU wins the College World Series, and the guy who had the most wins was a transfer from UCLA, and the guy who was the pitcher of the year and was the number one pick of the draft was a transfer from Air Force. And so what you have to be careful of is not becoming a minor league affiliate for the brand names. And, and again, I'm rooting for Drink. The problem is, there's only so many wins and so many players to go around, and I just don't know if he can compete. Terrific insights, as always. Ryan McGee, ESPN senior writer from Nashville, Tennessee, site of this year's SEC Media Days. Ryan, we appreciate the time and the insight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Anytime. I appreciate it. So you and I talk gambling on Daily Wager, Monday through Friday, ESPN 2, generally 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, but we're all over the damn place. <laughs> it's very difficult to keep it in mind. 30-minute shows in the month of July. Alabama's win total this year, mm-hmm. 10 and a half. Yeah. You don't count bowl games. Right. You don't count conference championship right. games. So they got a 12-game schedule. The win total's 10 and a half. They lose two games. That pays an under. Mm-hmm. They lost two games last year, and they lost the first overall pick in the draft at quarterback, mm-hmm. and they lost the best defensive player in the draft at Will Anderson. They got Texas A&M on the road. They got Texas at LSU at home. Am I crazy for liking the under? Like, I, I, I really like the under here. No, that's that's one of the question I kind of wanted to ask Ryan. I don't know if he gambles much, if he, uh, you know, is comfortable talking about that. But when you were asking about Georgia. Get Ian Fitzsimmons on the show. Don't worry about <laughs> You want a gambler, I'll find you a gambler. Georgia's at 11 and a half. So they yeah. have to go undefeated to cash the over. Now it's plus 110 on the over. It's minus 140, heavy juice to the under. Um, but that's the kind of question I wonder, I think. I think a one-loss Alabama team, to me, even with all the change, crazy to say, seems more likely than a two-loss team. Quarterback, I, I don't know, man. Quarterback situation is in flux. Quarterback situation is in flux. You did bring Tommy Reese down from Notre Dame as your new offensive mm-hmm. coordinator to replace Bill O'Brien, so that should be fascinating to see how that develops. Reese did a phenomenal job at Notre Dame last year. Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys quarterback, led the NFL in interceptions last year, but he says it's not going to happen again. Or will it? We'll tell you what Vegas thinks. That's next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hey, it's Amber Wilson coming up on Tuesday. As of right now, Shohei Otani is still on the Angels. But if he gets traded, will that be the biggest move in the history of sports? We'll discuss that and more at 6 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on ESPN2. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Alongside Tyler Folger, my name is Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys have a very, very interesting season coming up. Prescott facing some pressure as to whether or not he's going to be able to get this team to the next level. Head coach Mike McCarthy certainly on the hot seat entering the season. 
He will be taking over play calling duties after firing offensive coordinator Kellen Moore in the offseason. Moore now with the Chargers as their offensive play caller. Prescott recently spoke with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. If you don't remember, Dak Prescott was tied with Davis Mills for most interceptions in the NFL last season. Problem for Prescott is Mills played 15 games. Prescott only played 12 and still threw 15 picks. Here's what he had to say to the Fort Worth Worth Star-Telegram. Excuse me, quote, I know who I am, and you can go back and take away half of those off drops. I'm not saying it's on the receiver. This is me interjecting here. Yes, you are. Back to the quote. But if you cut that in half when we start talking about those, nobody is talking about it. I won't have 10 interceptions this year, end quote. This is interesting because right here in Las Vegas, we have props, Mr. Folger, Mm -hmm. as to how many interceptions Dak Prescott will throw. Bookmakers tasked with coming up with these numbers have established the prop at 13 and a half interceptions minus 110 both ways, meaning you risk $110 to win 100. 13 and a half is what Vegas says. He says he won't even get the 10. Who's right? It's a good question. Um, Thank you. Know, you. I'm not, <laughs> you know, just trying to um, acknowledge when the hosting is at an all-time high level, unlike right. his ability to take care of the football last year. <laughs> um, I, I think it is a little high. I would probably play the under. I don't think... Dak um, is kind of correct in blaming them all, or half of them, I should say, seven and a half of those 15 on drops. I think he made some poor decisions uh, last year, especially when backed up uh, near his own goal line. I remember a few. But I do think this Cowboy offense is going to be much more conservative than it was with Kellen Moore. He's out the door now coordinating the offense for the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Now Mike McCarthy is taking over, and Brian Schottenheimer is going to help him out. And if you know anything about Brian Schottenheimer, this guy loves Jeff Fisher football. Jeff Fisher actually hired him with the then St. Louis Rams. Uh, He has been a coordinator under Rex Ryan when Rex Ryan was with the Jets, I do believe. So this is, I think, an offense that is going to be far less ambitious, pushing the football down the field, asking Dak to make some more daring throws. I think their defense is going to be really, really good this year, and they're going to have a lead in a lot of games that they need to nurse by running the football in the second half. So I think Dak's attempts are going to come down. I think his average depth of target is going to come down. I think some of those play calls and um, – Pardon me. Some of those play calls and some of those um, reads that he has to make and progressions are going to be far less ambitious. So I would go under 13 and a half. I'll say maybe 10 or 11, but I think Vegas has it a little high based on some of the changes I think are coming to that offense. In Prescott's last three full seasons, he's had 10 or more interceptions each year, 11, 10, and 15. Turnovers have been a problem. He gets a lot of heat because he's the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. That's how it's going to work. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I got to tell you, what more can you ask for if you're a Dallas fan coming into the season? <laughs> you're 12-5 and five last year. You've got talent, all right? You look around, yes, Philadelphia is going to be formidable. Mm-hmm. But in your own division, the Giants are on the rise, probably not as good as you. The Commanders have some issues at quarterback and, quite frankly, probably aren't there as well. You go to the NFC North, Vikings, Lions, Packers, Bears. Packers without Aaron Rodgers. Right. I don't think anyone there is scaring you, nope. is terrifying you like the Chiefs terrify everyone in the AFC. You go to the NFC South. The Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Saints with Derek Carr, the Falcons. No one's terrifying you there. In the West, you got the Niners, quarterback situation in flux. Seattle, one-hit wonder under Geno Smith, we'll find out. Your beloved Rams, Mm -hmm. not a lot in offseason to help them out after a rough season last Mm -hmm. year going 5-12. And then the Cardinals, 
predicted by many to be the worst team in the NFL. They went 4-13 and a year ago. I mean, could you ask for an easier path to try to navigate through a conference and get back to the Super Bowl? No, and that's, again, why it's I think joke. this is a team that is not going to need to pass the football as much. I like their offense, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, um, the tight ends that they have that uh, allow Dalton Schultz to move to the Texans, Tony Pollard. Like, this is going to be, I think, a somewhat efficient offense, but I think they're going to be way more conservative because of the addition of Brian Schottenheimer and McCarthy taking over, way less ambitious than with Kellen Moore. And I think they're going to lean on that defense. They know they got Micah Parsons, who might be the best defensive player in the NFL. Shut up, Penn State. Five. Uh, they, ha- they bring back the linebackers. They bring back and add to the secondary as well. So I just don't see them throwing the football a lot. So I think both are kind of wrong. I think Dak may throw more than 10 interceptions, but I don't think he's going to throw 14. I think it's going to land in that 11, 12 range, maybe something like that. Do you like them to get past Philadelphia for the division? Philly's 14-3 and last year, but I mean, and I'm an Eagle fan. They played nobody. I I do. I think the Cowboys actually have a a better roster, 1-53. through So now, if you're winning the division, you're Mm -hmm. setting yourself up possibly to grab the one seed. Do you like them to win the conference? I do it's not. It's July, so I do you're not, not locked in. Right. This is a this is I do a not. pencil. Yeah, I do not. Number I do two, not. I do not trust Mike McCarthy, and I do not trust um, even Dak Prescott in his playoff career. I mean, we asked some questions about Lamar Jackson. What has Dak accomplished? He's never been past the divisional round, and so I trust that this team will be good in the regular season because they're going to play in a soft division, super soft conference. But once they start playing San Francisco. And then maybe Philadelphia and whoever emerges as a a decent team in the NFC, maybe it's Atlanta surprises. Maybe Seattle does it again. Maybe, you know, the Bears or I'm sorry, the Lions or the Bears or the, you know, the Bears was a subliminal thing there. That was, that was subconscious. I want it to happen, but let's say the Lions live up to expectation and finally become that team that everyone wants them to be. So once you start getting into January and you have to play all these teams back to back, even if it is at your home uh, stadium, I have not seen Mike McCarthy outside of having Aaron Rodgers one year. I have not seen Dak Prescott at any point in his career. I have not seen Jerry Jones in that front office since 1995 do anything in the postseason worth a damn. So I I trust him in the regular season. I do not trust him in the postseason. See, that's the thing. 17-game season, you're going to catch teams coming off Monday night games, teams that are injured. You're going to have a lot of spots where you can stack wins. If you're a good team, if you're this loaded with talent as they are, Mm -hmm. you're going to stack wins. You're going to put up a record. When you get to the playoffs, everything ratchets up. The coach on the other side is genuinely genuinely pretty good. Generally is what I was looking for is pretty good. McCarthy is not capable of outcoaching these guys. He, when he didn't have any play-calling responsibilities whatsoever, still did not understand when he should use his timeouts, when he should hurry up, how he should manage the clock, how he should manage the game. This is fundamental stuff that coaches need to know in the year 2023. He was not good at doing it. And now he's going to take on the play-calling duty, and we're just supposed to assume Mm -hmm. he's going to improve in the clock management as Mm -hmm. well? I don't see it. And I think that's the ultimate demise. They could be very good for a large portion of the season, and then they get up against one team like San Francisco or Philadelphia or maybe a team like Detroit, and it's a tight game, and he makes the big mistake late, and that's it. The season's over. That's how it goes. And that's ultimately what I think their demise is going to be because I don't see how he's going to outcoach somebody three weeks or four weeks in a row. DeAndre Hopkins is headed to Tennessee, but what does that mean for the teams he didn't pick? That's next on ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. He's Tyler Fulgham. I'm Joe Fordenball. Greeny. If being on Hard Knocks creates any problems for this team, then they were going to have them anyway. You are the most interesting team in the NFL, and the Jets should embrace that. Weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio.
This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.